Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Here we go on this episode of Believe in Horse Racing. Everyone knows I am from Sacramento, California, and I love sports, but I only love one basketball team. It's the Sacramento Kings. I have a top five of my favorite players of all time in Sacramento Kings era. Wayman Tisdale, Mitch Richmond, Brian Grant, Francisco Garcia, and the man on the phone right now, Doug does whatever the team needs. Christy, it is 15-year <laughs> NBA veteran Doug Christie on the phone. Hey, Doug, what's happening, brother? Oh, man, it is good to hear your voice, Ken. I hope all is well. You're staying safe, man. I can't complain. We, we, are, we are safe here in SAC and, and doing all right, man. Good to hear your voice as well. I'm uh, not up there, so I don't get a chance to hear you guys on the radio like I did every single day. And, and also, we don't have basketball right now, so I don't get to hear and feel all of your energy and excitement as we watch our Sacramento Kings try to put everything together. We're going to get into what's happening and what's not happening mm-hmm. with the current NBA season. But uh, obviously, here we're all about horse racing and uh, believe in horse racing. is about sharing stories of the track. And I vaguely recall when we were together at, in Sacramento, that you, I know you grew up in the Pacific Northwest. Did you grow up near the track, or did you go to the track up there? Oh, yeah. Uh, Long Acres was, was the track. So Long Acres was uh, located in Renton, which is just a little suburb, right? Just right. I mean, it was Seattle. It's right on the outside by South Center Mall. As a, as a kid, my my mom was uh, and her boyfriend were big into horse racing. Uh, they owned a small uh, piece of a horse later on in, in my high school year. Years. And actually, that was my very first job ever. My high school coach worked uh, uh, as a teller at one of the gates, got me a job sweeping up tickets and such. And that was my very first job ever in life was working at Long Acres Racetrack. But uh, it, it, it was the most exhilarating thing, man, to tell you, Ken, the first time I can remember walking down and standing near the rail on the home stretch and the horses came around and I just went, whoa, my God. It was the most exhilarating, uh, heart pounding to, to feel the power of those horses coming around. So I spent quite a bit of my youth in off times when I wasn't playing basketball or hanging with my friends at Long Acres Racetrack. You are extremely competitive and focused and cerebral as an athlete. I wonder if you had a different body type, would you consider being a jockey? You know, uh, after I heard those horses come around, no way. It, <laughs> 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 it, it scared the hell out of me, man. And, uh, actually, I rode my first horse just uh, last year in Jamaica. We, we uh, rode some horses, my wife and I, and what we weren't doing really wasn't riding. We had someone guiding us, teaching us, and trying to get the rhythm of the horse. But they are one of my favorite. Uh, besides, I'm a dog guy, so besides dogs, they are my favorite animal, one of the most majestic things that I have uh, ever laid my eyes on. But I have the, uh, uh, was it 
Gary Bays, I believe, was one of my favorite jockeys up in the Washington area. And uh, whenever he was on a horse, I was I was always betting on the horse. I used to bet uh, a jockey or number. I wasn't very, uh, you know, I was young and just uh, oh, uh, $2, <laughs> $2 to win on number seven, please. Uh, but nah, they're shorter in stature, obviously, and very light. I was taller in stature and very light. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I probably wouldn't have did it, kid. I'm going to tell you the truth. You know, in your 15-year NBA career, did you find other players that either grew up around horses or, or liked the track or wanted to go to the Derby? Did you guys ever share any experiences like that? You know, I, I know Scott Pollard was a Derby guy. He's been to the Derby a few times. N none of my other teammates that I can recall, but I, I did um, Sam Bowie. He was my teammate for uh, with the Lakers in my last year before I got traded. And I got to know Sam pretty well. And he went to the University of Kentucky. And uh, we were talking about this type of stuff, about horse racing and what have you. And he told me that he was, he was a breeder of horses. And we would be on the plains. And I, you know, if you start talking horses, I'm, I'm in. Because I just, I think that they are just magnificent animals. I love racing. Uh, so he's telling me how they... They breed and how they have to put a, this big piece of leather o over uh, the horse as they mount the horse up and he's graphically telling me about the clips on them and the, the, you know the guys have these gloves up to their mm -hmm. up to their shoulders and nothing drops out because it's so valuable and he's going on and I'm just like oh my god Sam uh, so when it comes to horse racing <laughs> man I, I, I dig it I, I truly love it just the other night I mean with all of this uh quarantine that we on uh secretariat was on and i just uh i couldn't take my eyes off of it it was a riveting story i'm a seattle slew guy obviously seattle slew but um yeah it, it, I, I love horse racing man it's awesome did you ever make it to a derby no i've never been man it's one of the things that i truly truly want to do my uh high school coach uh i call him Petey, and he has a buddy who uh, was raised with him in Seattle, but he moved to Louisville, Kentucky, and he goes to the to Derby all the time. And he's told me many times, he said, you just, you got to come down. I just have never gotten around to it, man. It's uh, one of those bucket list things. Uh, I, I would like to go to personally all the Triple Crown events. I, I find them fascinating. Uh, Grant and I, the other day, uh, our producer, Jay Johnson, put together a um, a greatest calls event. And so we had all these greatest calls and I said, Hey, let's put it in the bracket form. So we put it in 64, Jay put it all in there. And out of every, uh, every call in the history of sports that made this, this bracket, my favorite was Tom Durkin, 89 breeders cup. It is one of the most magnificent things I've heard in my life of someone calling an event, Ken. Uh, the nuances, the things, the inflection, the the words that he used uh, to, to win by a desperate neck. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, uh, it, it, it is spectacular.
I wish Doug I would have known about that because I would love to submit a Tom Durkin call that took place in 2001 and a lot of people within horse racing believe this is the greatest call in the history of sports because of the circumstances surrounding. Let me break it down. 2001, obviously our country is rocked after the events of 9-11 and in New York is the epicenter of that. The Breeders' Cup is held in New York that year after oh, 9-11. Wow. So we get everything together here in the country. We accept all the European horses in every other country. They bring their horses here. And we still have the Breeders' Cup. We have a returning champion in the form of a horse named Tis Now. He had a bad back. He hadn't been quite right. Um, he's kind of making his way uh, into the race. He's getting set. So we have Tis Now in this race. And there is a, a European champion on one side, I think, and, a, and another horse on the other. They come into the stretch. This is 2001 in New York. Tis Now is desperately fighting in between two horses. You just gave me you just gave me chills man it is still the most incredible call you're in new york it's after 9 11 and everybody just <laughs> man it was so incredible doug oh my god durkin is the absolute best i'm just so impressed that you guys uh picked a durkin call from from 89. actually we had tom durkin on man it was a one of the most magnificent conversations also i mean you know I, because uh, when Grant and I heard it, and I, Grant isn't a horse racing guy, but uh, it, it was instantly his favorite and mine as well, because I just, Grant goes, you know, because he's been doing commentating and announcing for, you know, he went to school and all, all the different, so he understands the nuances. I, I just know what I'm a connoisseur and what I like, and uh, we both fell in love with it. But he was a great interview, very gracious, just to, to dive into a lot of the different things of questions that we had. I just love the fact that you guys picked that call, man. That's fantastic. Part of the greatest show on court. Now, by the time you got to the Kings, you were already a veteran. And so you were that thing that the Kings really needed. That little piece to put them over the edge. And that's kind of the reason why you make my top five. I appreciate it. But one of the things I, I think about with that team is how it feels now. And I don't want to be offensive at all, but I often wonder, Doug, do you get tired of talking about that? Do you get a little sick of talking about those five, six years? Because I feel like sometimes we talk about it in Sacramento as if it's never going to happen again. Um, no, I don't. Because um, there, there's a, and you know this, Ken, because you're, you're Sacramento. There is a, uh, the word isn't weird. I'm going to use that word. Different uh next level um relationship between the fans and that team it's it's i've never experienced anything quite like it so for me no it was what i described to people as basketball nirvana it was nothing like anything that i've ever i've never you know the closest oddly enough and jeff petrie and rick adelman were both the general manager and the coach of that team was up in portland with the portland trailblazers they were the only team in town i was friends with jerome kersey got to go to a lot of the games up there so i, I kind of vibe but even sacramento had a had a different level so when i run across somebody and and they want to talk about it 
I, I don't mind it because I understand that for them, there's a, mo- I was in it, you know, I experienced it. It was, it was me. So I got to feel it on a different level. They, they were, they were totally immersed in it. So no, nah, I, I, I don't mind it. Many things that I haven't thought about or sometimes that I, you know, they haven't crossed my mind come back to me in those moments but uh you know when you when you say that it was it was interesting because as as we i can remember getting traded we were out looking for homes in washington at the time and we were at this one house it was like it was beautiful like two and a half three acres it was it was out you know like septic out you know what i mean like it was it was we wasn't close to anything and i get this call from my agent and uh, my wife says uh hey um brad's on the phone and, and he just said that you got traded to sacramento and she kind of pushed the you know how you used to push the phone down and then you kind of lean your head over like you're talking like they can't hear you and she goes she goes sacramento and i and i and i as soon as she said sacramento to me i said oh damn hell yeah and i said i don't worry about it we'll be good and uh, I, I just, I, I knew from playing them, I, it was always a place that I truly enjoyed playing because the fans, regardless if they were, well, they, they weren't good, but they always turned out, they always came out. So that for a player is a lot of fun, but I distinctly remember that, that summer, it was me and Bobby Jackson, we both came in together and it was just a, it was a perfect mix. There was a level of competition in practice that was never, I hadn't seen that in practice before because the first team and the second team were so good that sometimes the second team will beat us and that would piss us off to the point where it's like okay you know you might have came into practice a little tired today and then feel like practicing but you're going to take a beat and we don't get beat that often first of all so you don't want to get beat in practice either that just took it to another level man so when we get into to conversations about that or people like talking about it it, it's it's nothing for me because it's some of the most glorious moments of sports that i have ever experienced Uh, i'm a different animal i get extremely involved and emotional with my team and um i get so fired up doug that i'll start to cry because i want to because i want to be out there i still remember game one western conference finals kings lakers and um, at that time, I was obviously still in Los Angeles. I was what I call the belly of the beast because I was working for Fox Sports doing Best Damn Sports Show, period. Yeah. Everyone on that show was a Lakers fan. And I was the only one. <clears throat> and yeah. I- I'm not quite clear on how people in Sacramento feel about the Malou family, but they yeah. were good to me and they reached out to me. They came to Los Angeles and they found me. They came to the green room. They're like, they're like are you Ken Rudolph? I'm like, yeah. They're like, you're the Kings fan, right? I'm like, yeah, man, that's my home. You guys saved my team. Thank you. They're like, we want to invite you to come to the game one at Arco Arena. And I'm like, are you serious? They're like, yeah. I'm like, can I bring my friends? They're like, yeah. How many tickets do you need? I'm like, are you serious? They're like, yeah, what do you need? I'm like, come on, man. So I grabbed my my best friend. And uh, I remember my brother's there. And we were sitting. And it's national anthem time for game one. man. When they got done with that anthem and they started doing the team announcement, I started crying. I wanted to be out there on the court so bad. I was like, we got to get this, man. I want to play. 
<laughs> we gotta get this. I want to be out there because I can help, even though I can't help. I can help. <laughs> uh, you know, Kim. In, in many ways, I, I'm uh, I'm the same way. And oddly enough, for me, that's what lost. That's what lost the series, in my opinion, uh, because I never. Yeah, I'm just speaking about for myself. I never, while I played, I didn't learn how to harness that part. And I'll, I'll, I'll fast forward here in a second. But uh, in that game one, oddly enough, you bring that up. That's where we lost the series at, actually, because we, we, you know, it was all about home court advantage and what have you. And when we got to that game one, we weren't, we weren't mentally prepared for game one because after that we were good. But we lost that first game, and we just I didn't have the we didn't have attraction. You know, we weren't we weren't prepared. But to to your point about um, uh, what I call emotional content is the ability to harness it. And I hear uh, watching the Last Dance right now, and and I hear um, Phil Jackson talking, and he passed on so many gems to that co to Kobe and and Shaq and their team, uh, things that would have really, really helped us. And one of them is, you know, guys breathe, understand the, the moment. I can't remember how he put it in this last one, but, you know, he was like meditate for a moment and those type of things because I remember running out in game seven. It was the weirdest thing Ken, uh, I've ever experienced uh, r running onto a court as I ran out of the tunnel and you remember how how it exploded at Arco Arena. It was different, you know. And and as soon as I ran out the tunnel and I hit the court, I started crying. And I just never could, I couldn't grasp my emotions from that moment on. Everything else was pretty much a, a blank. You know, I just, all of a sudden, I, you know, I'm seeing myself as a kid, surgeries and struggles and I'm laying the ball up and running to the other end and I just I'm wiping my eyes and I just like whoa and it just so you know so I, I never could grasp it the way that I needed to and I'm sure on their end of the court they were calm cool <laughs> and ready to play but uh that that's that's what I love about sports man it is it's powerful I love that you shared that Doug because I would never have guessed that any athlete at your level at that moment would ever be, you know, overwhelmed by emotion. I just would never even have considered that to be even a possibility with any of you guys. That's amazing. I, I'd never been in the moment and, and I didn't know, I didn't realize the moment and I didn't bring the moment down to what the moment was. It's just another moment. Uh, and all the breathing and, and meditation and things that I, that I do now, that would have been really big for me then uh, i just i didn't i didn't know that and that's why you know it's important for our athletes to to take these stories and pass them forward and help the next generation to try to uh be better as we talk about king's basketball the the greatest thing that i need ken i mean what probably brought me back here more than every anything is the ability to to watch a uh, parade it's we were so close these fans deserve it so much that uh, I, I i live for the ability to make that happen 
there's a, there's no basketball. Nothing has been happening since the me about the middle of March, and we're not quite sure when we're coming back. Um, have you received any information? You are inside. You are an industry insider for the NBA. I know they're talking about a lot of things. Uh, what's the word? When can we get basketball back? In Sacramento, I know a lot of the fans thought, okay, there's a chance that this team could sneak into that that eighth spot. Um, did they talk about anything about allowing teams to maybe play the final 10 games of a regular season? And then if they can improve their position, then we go to the playoffs or just cut it and go straight to the playoffs? You know, I, I think that it would be cutting and go straight to the playoffs as, as sucky as that would be for Kings fans, because I thought that that actual the game that we were about to play against the Pelicans was going to define their season. If they won that, they had a serious opportunity to make the playoffs. They had a tough schedule with the last, I believe, remaining 17 games. I think I would find it hard for the NBA to try to figure out a way to have 30 teams play about each of them had about 15 to 17 games left with the travel, with all the different things that have gone. If you did quarantine them to two locations, one in the East and one in the West, some of those teams that are on the Eastern quarantine and the Western quarantine need to play each other. So there's travel in that. Um, I, I just find that part hard. I think that if you wanted to finish it, it would it, it wouldn't be good for teams that are on the cusp of making the playoffs. But you would just have to cancel and say, okay, the uh, final eight in the West, final eight in the East. Maybe you have an Eastern quarantine and a Western quarantine. They play each other, and you meet for you know the NBA uh, the NBA finals. Uh, there was something by uh, Kenny Smith from TNT that mentioned um, the ability to have what would be considered an NCAA bracket, uh, like the final 64 teams. But, you know, you would rank everybody up and it would go single elimination down to the final four. So you'd have Eastern Conference and Western Conference in the, in the final uh, four. And then you'd play the best out of seven. That would be exciting and thrilling. You'd probably get some upsets because, you know, everyone's not going to be on there. A game because obviously there's been a time that teams haven't played. But I think, Ken, to be honest, I think everything's on the table right now. You got to move it around and try to find something that makes sense. And first and foremost, and I say all of that with I'm taking out the variable of safety. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that people are going to be safe because it, it, they're not going to be safe. I don't think that this is even possible. And when I say safe, I'm saying to the extent that they can control the safety. Vaccine is the only way that you're going to be totally, quote unquote, safe. And that's probably not happening anytime soon. It is a fact that everyone knows that pretty much every single professional athlete on the planet has an absolutely beautiful partner. That's just how it rolls. But you're the only one that has a wife that I love. Jackie is the absolute best. Um, even before I actually finally met her when I got to Sacramento and you guys came on the show on Good Day Sacramento, I always thought she was the best thing ever. Not just because she's beautiful, but because she's smart. She is incredible. And I often wonder, do you think, now that everyone has kind of heard the story of how you two work in your relationship, they've seen her do her thing on her own as a professional individual. Do you think that she is having an impact on how spouses deal with this type of lifestyle? Is she changing the way they deal with it? 
Absolutely. I, I think uh, a lot of what my wife and I went through early on, Ken, was we took a lot of bullets for a lot of people because we squashed a lot of the uh, myth that you couldn't be faithful and have a marriage and it'd be cool and you'd be on a team like the Kings and all of that stuff. Um, and now you see your rest in peace to Kobe, but Kobe and Vanessa, uh, you see, um, you know, LeBron James, you see the, uh, all, all these different players who they push their families out there and they demonstrate their love for their wives and their kids and different things that, you know, I don't necessarily want to say that we didn't see it, but it wasn't the same way. Be, and and why that go? Why I can say that is because the ridicule that we took by doing it <laughs> demonstrated that it hadn't been seen, especially by an African American couple. Not to say that there haven't been some incredible ones out b- before us that was uh, faithful in, in doing their thing. Obviously. Barack and Michelle Obama comes to mind when I think about great African-American examples of uh, a loving relationship. So, yeah, we, we, we took some bullets. I think that uh, people are, are in, in players and families are better for it. And, and, and mainly because it just, I think, gave some confidence that I can do this and it's okay. And I love my wife and I love my family and I don't really care who, who gives a damn about it. It's time for what we call the Sure Shot. This is Long Shot Lounge, everybody. And it's time to hang out with some of our friends on social media. And today, it is Mr. Nice Guy. It's kind of what I like to call him. Uh, his name is Sean, and he is super, super positive on social media. He's our guest now in Longshot Lounge. Sean, what's up, brother? Hey, Ken. How are you, sir? Thank you so much for having me on tonight. Oh, man. I'm just uh, so excited to have you and so many other people on this show. You guys operate on social media and you guys are unbelievably nice and supportive. And I'm like, these can't be real horse players. Horse players aren't nice, but you guys are amazing. Um, how did that even start? You know, before I get to your social media thing, how did you even get involved in horse racing? Cause you seem to have a- Sure, absolutely. So I, I credit it to my dad. Uh, my dad grew up in Boston and, uh, and he, when he became a teenager, he and his friends used to ride the subway over to Suffolk Downs to see the uh, races. And uh, from day one that they went, um, he was uh, instantly hooked it, into it and uh, has always been a huge uh, horse racing fan. And uh, that, uh, luckily, from the minute I was born, uh, came uh, right into me. And ever since... Uh, I was a kid, a very baby. I've always been around horse racing, so it's always been a huge passion of mine. So that's kind of my, I credit my dad for getting me into this uh, wonderful sport. We are on right now. It's the Longshot Lounge. You're hanging out here with Sean Patrick Nolan. He is on Twitter at, at SPNNation74. That's SPNNation74. And speaking about the social media activity, you are incredibly supportive and incredibly positive 
on social media, which I think is impossible, but you do it all day, every day. What drives you? Why are you so positive? Well, I, I think it came from uh, my upbringing. My, my dad, uh, when, uh, when I was a kid, he gave me a great lesson. He was the, he did all the marketing and sold all the, the signs and everything for both the Celtics and the Bruins when I was, when I was a kid, which was really exciting. And uh, having worked for them, he always gave me the, the attitude that it always goes from the top down. And he said, the only way you can be your best is if everybody's involved. And I've kind of taken that uh, a bit of advice with everything I do. So when it comes to horse racing, and this is why with social media, I'm, I'm so energetic and obviously I have a passion about horse racing. What I realize is uh, I've been blessed to have been around like people, like great people, like from Centennial Farms. Uh, when I was uh, there with like Rubiano and Colonial Fair all the way up to today with preservationists, which is so exciting. But also in that kind of uh, way that my dad taught me, everybody from the $5,000 claiming horse up to the million dollar horses are just important, are working just as hard, are, are key components of the sport. And if everybody in the, in the uh, model is being supported and worked with, then your sport's just better. And that's the way I've always at, used my attitude towards that. Now, everybody knows me. I'm all about value. What kind of player are you? Are you? Do you always look for value? Or are you just trying to find the best horse? I'm I'm kind of in the in the middle there. Um, I I generally do not like playing like eight to five, four to five. You know, I, I try to I always try to find the value. Um, if, if I think a horse is obviously the best horse in the race, I will go with it. But generally, I'm always trying to find that eight to one, ten to one, thirteen to one kind of gem in the middle there that uh, that kind of upsets the favorites and. Uh, and brings back a return. So I would say on the most part, I shy away from the favorites, but if, if I do like them, I will definitely use them. But I always try to find that long shot to get in with them for sure. All right, let me check with our panel. Uh, judges, is that? Oh, yep, judges will allow. You are allowed entry into Long Shot Lounge. All right, player, let's do this. Find me a race this weekend where you think that there is, is a horse at a price that'll still kind of retain some of that value even by the time we get to Saturday. Sure. Okay. So I found one in the in the first race at Churchill, and the, his name is Powwow Prince, and he's out of Cairo Prince, and uh, he's trained by Norm Casse, our friend Norm Casse, and ridden by Julian Laparou, and, and they're obviously known as the kind of dynamic duo of, of Churchill Downs. I think they're like 22% together in the last couple of years uh, riding together. But um, it, that horse is a very interesting one. He lost to a, he started on the turf against a horse named Structor, who's a, a very good stakes horse on the, on the grass. So Norm decided to move him to, uh, to Keeneland on the main track. And he ran a very respectable uh, fourth on, in a maiden special weight. And uh, so they tried him in another maiden special at Churchill and he got in the slop and just hated it. Didn't like it at all in November. Um, Norm is great at bringing horses off layoffs. He hasn't run since November, but his, his stats are very solid off the, off the layoff. And he's dropping him into a maiden 50,000. He's going back from mile and 16th to a seven furlongs. 
which I love that move of dropping back from a longer distance to a shorter distance because I think it'll give him a little bit more uh, stability. And then when you add Julian Laparu uh, back on onto him um, on Churchill Downs where he just rides uh, spectacularly, uh, to me that seems like a very very uh, good shot and and hopefully we get some value coming off the layoff. Sean, I love everything that you said there um, because <laughs> I was looking at it and I'm like, how is this horse going to win off the layoff? This has been gone for a while. Um, but then the way that you put it together, I just love your reason. But can I direct your attention quickly to race number three? At absolutely, Churchill? absolutely. Because that's where I found a value horse that I was looking at because everyone knows I have jockeys that I consider money. John Court is one of my guys. I oh, spoke oh, with yeah. John Court. And he told me, he's like, hey, if you see me, obviously, with Jinx, with Mr. Fires, you know we're ready to go. And he's got a second-time starter, League of Legends, who debuted April 11th at Oakland with Stuart Elliott. On that day, that horse was 75-1 to 1 and ran second. Johnny gets them out. Absolutely. I, exactly. And, and put up a very strong 68 buyer on that day. Skull Factor was a good horse and he's had very solid work so i i'm i'm totally with you on that one i love that you got another one you want to throw out any uh, anything else quickly yeah just one more quickly uh definitely in the uh war chant i like uh south bend for stanley hoff um I, the, julian's been uh, again i'm kind of on the julian laparu uh, train here but um i don't know what miguel vasquez really did with him there in the at Gulfstream. he came um but when julian wrote him he came in second to decorated invader from West Point, who I think is probably the best three-year-old turf horse in the country right now. And uh, and uh, very, he's back with Julian. There's no decorated invader or Vitology who are two huge uh, prospects and he's coming back. And I think with getting the rail for Stanley Huff, who does very well, Julian and, uh, and Stanley Huff do fantastic together. And I think coming back to, to Churchill Downs, where he's had numerous, now he had numerous wins on the dirt. He hasn't really won on the turf yet, but versus this crew with getting Julian back and there's no decorated invader or uh, Vitology to go up against. I think he's a real solid shot with that uh, booming late kick. So there we have selections from race number one at Churchill Downs. Julian Laparu uh, for Norm Cassie. Is it, you say Pow Pow Prince? Yep, absolutely, yep. Race number three, League of Legends with John Court and uh, Mr. Fires, Mr. Jinx Fires. And race number 11, that's the war chant. Inside horse, looks like he's going to be inside there, South Bend. And that's uh, Julien Laparu. Wow. All right. Sean, this has been an absolute pleasure, man. You radiate sunshine all the way from the other side of the country, and I appreciate it. What I'm doing, I'm going to put together a rotation. I want to be able to check in with you from time to time. Is that all right? Absolutely, my friend. It'd be my pleasure to join you anytime. Man, I really appreciate getting to know you. And of course, we'll get together on the old Twitterverse this weekend. We'll exchange some picks and we'll all get that money together if we can. All Absolutely. Right? Look forward to it. Thank you so much for having me. And <laughs> that's it. That's a wrap on episode four of Believe in Horse Racing. I want to thank our guest, 15-year NBA veteran, four-time All-NBA Defensive Team Honors member of the greatest show on court, Sacramento history. Talking about Doug Christie, does. Appreciate does hanging out with us here. Also appreciate our guest, Sean, hanging out in Long Shot Lounge. He's got a lot to live up to. Barry came through last week and gave out the sure shot with Oxide. 
that's scored. So we'll see if we can get that uh, to work out two weeks in a row. Hopefully we can. Let's get in that right line to cash. Let's get this money together. We'll see you next time right here on Believe in Horse Racing. Peace. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube